0: Turn with me, please, to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll be reading verses 28 through 39. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 through 39. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For you know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days, in which after that ye were illuminated ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by the reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Pondering, meditating, thinking about this tremendous epistle to the Hebrew Christians, it has in it, of course, some wonderful promises, some glorious promises teaches, of course, of of our Lord Jesus and His great high priesthood and that He is our intercessor before God. He is the one who saves. He is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. And yet we have in this Hebrew epistle that is so filled with wonderful promises for those who are under this blessed new covenant through the blood of the Son of God and under god's grace and work in them there's also of course much warning that's given i guess one of the most solemn passages found in hebrews chapter 6 where there's the warning of course of apostasy and yet uh, here uh where we read in Hebrews 6 verse 6 if they fall away it's impossible to renew them to repentance and uh, go on of course in this chapter yet the apostle tells us in verse 9 but beloved we are be- uh, persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak we have promise, great promise found in this epistle to the Hebrews and we have strong warnings given in the epistle to the Hebrews we are not to Neglect, of course, the things of God. We are not to uh, give heed to the world. We're to give heed to our Lord who speaks, and as we're taught, of course, in this epistle. And we're not to refuse him that speaks from heaven. They perished who refused him who spake on earth, as we're taught in Hebrews. And we're given these strong warnings so that we do not live in presumption. We are to walk in the fear of God and in the realization that if God has begun a work in us, that work will show up. It will be there. And uh, we shall be among those who overcome with a patient and a persevering faith that is very real, that will overcome the obstacles and the oppositions and the difficulties that come in the way. And yet we're warned, of course, that... Um, As here in chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, again, cast not away, therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Of course, when you get to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we have the great faith chapter. And uh, we have demonstrated in those we would call heroes of faith and sometimes termed heroes of faith, we have Really, the illustration for us of what kind of faith is a saving faith, what kind of faith is a real faith. And of course, in Hebrews 11 6, that without faith it is impossible to please Him, for He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. But that kind of faith is also brought out clearly in the present passage i just read to you it is a faith that will issue into the saving of the soul uh, we are the apostle says of them that believe to the saving of the soul of course salvation is, didn't come in one package in time past we're saved by god's grace when we're brought to the knowledge of christ and we're brought to trust in him and we're, we're brought under conviction we lose all of our religion all of our own righteousness we become realize under the realization we're utterly lost and stand in need of the savior and god calls us by his grace and shows us christ and his cross as his remedy and his grace to us we come to trust in him and god justifies us that's an eternal thing when that takes place, that's that's not something that admits of degrees. We can't be more or less justified. We're justified, justified freely forever, as we're taught in Scripture. And yet, when that is a reality in one, and God, by His grace, brings us to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and brings us to Him, that begins, of course. Then there's also this present Work, if you please, of God's grace in salvation. We who've been saved are being saved. It outworks itself. There comes a finality of this salvation when Christ comes in glory. I'm convinced that's what we have here in this passage. The finality of this salvation, the believing to the saving of the soul. Indeed. And so, What we learn is that this kind of faith governs our life. It governs the way we live in the world. I know these Sunday school fellows get in my message almost every time. But it governs the way we live in this world and is to do so. And it becomes a a controlling factor in which the one who's truly in Christ lives, the just shall live by faith. That is a statement that describes the one who's truly in the work of God's grace, under his providential grace, and saved, and shall be saved in truth. The just shall live by faith. And, of course, uh, God's faith, his gift of faith, when that is a reality, lays hold of promise, believes his word, receives the promise, and it's characterized by patience, patience, biblical patience, the ability to continue under the most difficult circumstances endurance and so we have in verse 36 for you have need of patience that after you've done the will of god you might receive the promise so it behooves us to learn diligently the nature of the kind of faith that issues into the saving of a soul wouldn't you think What kind of faith? All through this Hebrew epistle, all who have taken the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are called upon fervently to continue just as they have begun and to lay hold upon the hope set before them. We have that, of course, in our passage as well. To continue trusting the Lord of glory, to continue under the realization of the wondrousness of God's mercy in saving us through Christ and His cross, bringing us to Him, to know Him, setting before us the hope of glory, as it's called in Scripture, that we shall be forever with the Lord when He comes, that when this short life is over, we shall be with Him. But when He comes, also He shall gather us unto himself. And we have this hope that God implants in the hearts of those who are truly born of him. The scriptures, of course, teach that we are justified through faith in Christ alone. But to be sure, that faith, that is that type of faith which truly justifies is known by then the life that it produces and how one lives by this faith then. We're justified by faith alone, but I don't remember who it was. It might have been John Owen who first stated, but not by such a faith that remains alone. Many claim a salvation on the basis of what has taken place in the past trusting some kind of experience, trusting something they have done, trusting in some prayer they have prayed, trusting in some preacher's hand that they took and were given a prescribed prayer or something. There are many who trust in works of some particular kind or something they have done, claiming a salvation on the basis of what has happened but the scripture puts it presently. Now, not simply something in the past. And what we shall learn is that the faith by which we are truly saved is not dead and dormant faith. It's not something we think we had in the past. It's that which is living. We have a living faith. We have a living hope. And where this is a reality, there will be fruit born to the glory of God. That, of course, was in that primary parable of the Lord Jesus Christ, the parable of the sower. That which receives the seed of the word of God in the good ground, that ground that God has prepared in the heart, bring forth fruit to the glory of God. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. And in our passage, of course, here in Hebrews 10, there are two kinds of people. There are those who had at one time some kind of faith by which they had professed to believe in the gospel, but then in the course of time turned back. And there are those who continue to believe to the saving of the soul through whatever difficulties have come. And, of course, the apostle shows here that these Hebrew Christians had already endured much suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one is an apostate. The other is a true child of God who shall perseveringly overcome. And so we look at this faith that saves, if you please, in verses 35 through 37. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet, a little while, And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now what do we mean? We're talking about saving faith. Faith is not a Savior. We're not speaking of faith as a Savior. Christ alone is Savior. Christ alone saves. Christ alone completely saves. But faith is the means... Through which we are joined to Christ by which we are justified we call it saving faith then to distinguish it from mere belief that does not issue into the reality of salvation that there is such a mere and external belief which is not of the character of saving faith of course is clear again in the Lord's teaching and that primary parable the parable of the sower that the Lord gave he shows that there are those who will immediately receive the word with joy and they had a kind of belief but it wasn't a heart belief it wasn't rooted in if you please a new heart and so when difficulty arose and hard things came and in the passing of time these things offended them that caused them to stumble out of the way there were others of course who were taken up by the cares the worries the things of this world that choked out the word or the pleasures of this life to fall away is to apostatize. It's to draw back. That was happening early when the gospel went forth and the apostles of Christ proclaimed the gospel. There were those who professed to believe the gospel. For a while they seemed to be real. But they didn't last. As Paul would tell Timothy in First Timothy four, and First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to do seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They shall follow false teaching. They shall be taken in by those who are teaching a false gospel. <laughs> And uh, they shall be convinced, of course, of that which is absolutely a lie, as it would be called in Scripture. And uh, that's not particularly speaking of an apostasy that comes at the end of the world. Uh, in uh, If you read the Greek Testament, you'll realize that's talking about those who then, even then, uh, had embraced by profession the gospel, but later would be taken in by false teachers. And so... Uh, It is indeed a very solemn thing, the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, and they were in the latter times as well, that began with the coming of Christ. Some shall depart from the faith, not a personal, genuine, saving faith, but the body of truth, as it is in the gospel. Sometimes that's termed the faith in Scripture. That there are those who had done so, were once among these Hebrew believers is clear. Of course, in the 10th chapter here, verse 25, there is the command not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And in verse 39, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And so what scripture further makes clear as that uh, though apostates were once among the true saints of God they weren't really of them. They weren't of their character. Had they been they would have continued with them. They weren't of the reality of the genuineness of the understanding and belief in the gospel and in the, the son of God as he's revealed in scripture. And so They did not remain among them. They forsook them. They forsook the assembly of the saints. They went out from them. They were taken in by false doctrine. So the nature of genuine saving faith, I believe, was aptly expressed by Arthur Pink when he wrote, The complete and final salvation of the Christian is dependent upon his continued trust in and obedience to God in Christ, not as the cause thereof, yet as the indispensable means thereto. So this faith, as we read in these verses, has respect to the recompense of the reward there's a promise there's coming something glorious for the saints of God there's something that will say all of the difficulties all of the heartaches all of the sufferings all that was born from the ungodly world will have its recompense One day all of these things will be forgotten. One day God shall wipe away all tears from eyes. One day the saints shall be in the presence of the Lord never, ever again to suffer affliction, persecution, death. That's coming for those who are in Christ. The scriptures do not equate this future reward, by the way, with merit as if we earn it. Neither our works nor our faith is a meritorious cause of the reward that is to be bestowed. But faith is the means through which we receive it. And though God both gives faith, it is gift, saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith is not a product of the human will. Faith is a product of the divine will, not a product of man's free will. It is a product of God's free will. It's his gift. It comes with regeneration. It comes with that new birth that God brings. And God keeps those whom he gives this gift he keeps them in this faith, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. First Peter 1.5, that respects what's coming in that passage. That same faith, we're kept by that same faith that God implants in the hearts, that new heart of his regenerate child. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, That's our hope that God keeps us. Yet through this same grace, we work out this salvation through a godly fear. A godly fear. We're not to presume upon things. We're not to become complacent because we're warned in Scripture that only those who overcome, only those who through the patience of faith continue, are among those who shall realize that wondrous coming, consummate salvation, when Christ shall be revealed in glory, and those who are his shall be revealed as belonging to him. But now we walk in a godly fear And when this reward comes, we didn't merit it, but we are treated as if we did. So, as, for instance, as you read about the seven churches of Asia Minor in uh, the book of Revelation, the promise is always given to who? What kind of person? To him that overcometh. You see, when God gives faith, this faith is not temporary. And this faith becomes active, and this faith is persevering. This faith overcomes the difficulties, the oppositions that come in the way of it. Our passage in uh, Hebrews 10 equates this reward with the receiving of the promise in verse 36, and this consummate saving of the soul in verse 39. There are three things here which accompany or are the products of saving faith. They are presented to us in the context of exhortation. We are to diligently hold fast to the confidence. In verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. And, of course, you find this throughout this Hebrew epistle that we are to hold fast the confidence with which we began, the confidence in our Lord, the trusting in him, the reliance upon him alone, and the resting upon his glorious finished redemption. Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after but Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. That's in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And the word for confidence is translated boldness in chapter 10 here, in verse 19. Having boldness, having therefore bold, uh, brethren boldness to enter into the holiest, by the blood of Jesus. It's called here full assurance of faith in Hebrews. Full assurance of faith. That's not respecting ourselves. That's not respecting uh, maybe because we struggle with sin sometimes we might doubt our salvation. That's saying we don't doubt Him. We trust Him. We believe what He has said. We have a full assurance of faith. And this full assurance of faith causes us to continually draw near to God with the confidence that we are accepted in Christ. That's a wondrous thing. That if you come as a poor and needy sinner, if you come in the realization that you were utterly lost, you lose all your own self-confidence. All your own self-righteousness goes. All your own religion goes. Everything. Anything you trusted goes. And God called you to look to Christ alone. To trust Him only. Who died for sinners, rose again. Who shed His blood for the cleansing of sin. And to trust Him. To come to him it's he who's opened the way into the very holy of holies we come into the presence of god the father through the son and we are to lay hold of that and confidently come to him because christ has opened the way for us and this is what he of course has done we draw near to god with full confidence isn't that a part of faith, John? That we lay hold of that We have access to the living God by the cross, through the work of God's grace, by His Spirit. We may come to God. We may come to Him not because of something we've done or some work we've performed, but because of what God has done in Christ. Open the way. He Himself has done this, as we're taught. And, uh, we are to lay hold then upon the faithfulness of God who has promised us that if we truly trust in Christ, we may come to him. So we have here in chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is, he is faithful that promised. He keeps his word. He does exactly what he says. God cannot lie. And we come to trust Him. Then we have the exhortation, Cast not away. Well, why would we have that exhortation? Because there are things that will tempt you to do so. There are things which will tempt you to cast away your confidence. You see, there can be... uh, great discouragements had come. It must have been very difficult for them, as it is for God's people, for those who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ that seem to be real, to depart from. As, of course, happened, those who were drawing back, those who abandoned them, those who forsook the assembling of the saints, they abandoned the people of God. They, of course, were taken in by false doctrine false teaching. And generally, those who are so, they're never happy just to keep that to themselves. They work very hard at influencing others in their complaints or whatever. So they try to influence others. And of course, that must have been very difficult for many uh, to see those who had turned from the gospel of the Son of God and to false gospels. There is always the temptation, and there is always the temptation to grow weary under reproach, under affliction, from the ungodly and Christ rejecting world. As he'd written here in verses thirty-two and thirty-three. But called to remembrance, the former days, in which after Ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. Now, of course, in the Hebrew sense, they were in a religious society, and they were under persecution from their countrymen, and uh, the Jews, and of course, because they'd embraced the gospel of the Son of God, and that's hated. That's hated by the Jews, and they came under great persecution. But anyone who truly follows Christ is going to come under some forms of persecution, reproaches, difficulties. Anyone who bears the name of Christ and is truly walking according to biblical principles and not ashamed of that is going to come under the frowns of this world. They're going to come under some kind of difficulties and persecutions. And so there must be then a patient faith. Biblically meaning a faith that endures the temptations that come. A faith that endures whatever difficulties and afflictions may come. And so as in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 and we turn back and take a look at that if you like. In chapter 6 And verses 11 and 12. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You find that, of course, here. You find it in the book of Revelation. Under great difficulty, suffering that comes from the world, persecution that comes from the world, speaks of patience and faith, the patience of the saints, the ability to overcome the difficulties that come and remain true, holding fast the confidence, the confidence in Christ. The need of this endurance comes because there are those things which will severely oppose that faith. Your faith in Christ will be opposed. There are things that will be in opposition to that. Where there is no unopposed faith, when there is Uh, no opposition there's no faith it's not there there's no way to live in this world the life of Christ by faith in a world that opposes him without also sharing in his sufferings in some way as in 2nd Timothy 3 if we suffer we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It shall come in some form. Unless you deny Him by silence or by compromise with the world, you're going to suffer persecution from it. You're going to suffer persecution in that regard with christ which is a blessing it's only as we do the will of god and we do the will of god passively and submitting to his providence and actively in the keeping of his word in the midst of that which comes against it that our faith is both purged and it becomes strengthened. We must have the trial of faith. Sometimes it might seem to us in the trial of faith that it's being destroyed, but it's not being destroyed. The only thing being destroyed is that which opposes it within us, our own unbelief that still resides in the flesh. So James could write my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, trials, tests of various sorts. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, that's that perseverance, the overcoming. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God is moving in the regenerate, believing child of His through all of these difficulties to purge, prepare, so that one day you and I who are in Christ shall be made like unto Him, conformed to His image. And we only hold fast our confidence and patiently overcome as we lay hold of the hope set before us. That's very important. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. What awaits those who truly possess a forward look with a discerning heart is so far greater than all that must be endured on the way to it that there's no comparison if we could have an inkling of what lay away or or lay ahead if we knew what was coming we're given some promises glorious promises of course then we could reckon with the apostle paul when he says i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us if we comprehend and lay hold upon the promise that Christ is coming, if we lay hold upon that, we realize we're going to leave this world. We're not going to be here very long. Some of us are closer than others. (laughs) And we hope in God's grace and mercy that we shall be alive when Christ comes. We either depart to be with him Or we're caught up with him, with all of the saints when he comes. And it's glorious what lay ahead. It's glorious the paradisical conditions that shall be restored and even enhanced beyond what we can comprehend. Now, for the saints, it's glorious when God shall dwell with them and he shall be their God and they shall be his people. Revelation 21.3 the glorious when he shall wipe away all tears from eyes. No more death, sorrow, no more crying. All these things passed over. No more sickness. No more Democrats or Republicans. Or libertarians. Or libertarians. <laughs> all these things passed over. Perfect government. Perfect monarchy the king of kings and the lord of lords ruling won't that be great that's coming what awaits beyond what we could begin to comprehend but it's so glorious that if we comprehend it that we have an inheritance laid up and nobody is going to be able to steal it. No thief, no corruption is going to be able to take it. It is forever. And that we have this with our Lord himself, he that spared not his own son, but delivered uh, him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? We can comprehend this glorious reality. It makes all the difficulties faced so much lighter. It even sweetens them. Christ is coming. He is coming. He's going to receive all who overcome to himself. And that's the blessed hope that's implanted in the bosoms of his believing people. As in the last verse of the last chapter, chapter 9 in Hebrews. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Those for whom he offered himself, those whose sins he has remitted by his own blood, those who have been called and know him and belong to him, they are given a blessed hope. Do you realize that the same grace that saves us implants that hope within us? The same grace that saves puts the hope of glory and the hope of the coming of Christ, the anticipation, the laying hold that he shall come. Hope, in the biblical sense, is not a wish something would happen. It means it lays hold upon promise and is certain that something shall come and waits for it. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, all kinds of men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're saved by God's grace, you have the hope of glory in you. If you're saved by God's grace, you're looking forward in anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This hope rests not only upon the fact of the second coming, but upon the glorious truth of He who is coming. We don't look for events. We look for Him the heart upon Him, the glorious, wondrous Son of the living God, the Christ of glory, the one who is fairer than 10,000, the one whose grace into His lips is poured, the one who loves with a love that is so incredible that He gave Himself To draw us to himself. By that love. It's he who is coming. Unto them that look for him. Shall he appear the second time. Without sin unto salvation. You got to love him. In order to be looking for him. And if you're looking. You're looking for him. whatever glories are in the future nothing is going to compare to the glorious revelation of the Son of God to us it's in knowing Him in the desire to be with Him that we persevere in the kind of faith that looks only to Him and keeps doing so. You see, he's the goal of our faith. He's the goal of our faith. Not some beautiful reality of heaven. It's going to be beautiful. The Apostle Paul couldn't even talk about it when he said he had that experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he never said, I want to desire and go to heaven and be in all that glorious place. No. He said, I desire to depart, and to what? To be with Christ. With Him. Which is far better. He's the one who has my heart. He's the one who wrote, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb. That I may win Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And He looks forward, He looks forward, and He goes on and says in that same chapter, Let's See if I can remember it. Philippians. <laughs> Philippians. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I should have gotten that. Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I press. That's effort. (laughs) I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, uh, uh, well, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, haven't fully arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He had the hope of glory. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And guess what happens when he comes down to the end of his course in this world? Guess what happens when he faces Nero's axe, if you please? He says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Are you looking for him? Are you anticipating his coming? Do you have a heart so in love with the Son of God that it leaps for joy when you realize he's going to come for you? So, uh, what kind of faith is it that alone pleases God? Verses 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in it. But we're not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. What kind of faith is it? It's a life-governing faith. It's a faith that governs the way you live. If this faith, which lays hold of God in Christ and submits in delight to do His will, is not active now, there's no evidence it really has been. You catch that? Two quotes from Martha Pink I quoted from earlier. The constant exercise of faith by the saint is as essential to his final salvation as it was to his initial salvation. And secondly, only as the heart is engaged with God and feeds upon his word will the soul be invigorated and fitted to press onwards when everything seems to be against it. It's a life-governing faith. And it is a forward-looking faith. It looks forward. If there's a looking back, if there's a heart that's desirous of the world and the things of it, there's a looking back. That precedes a drawing back. And whosoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. There can be different kinds of looking back there can be a reliance upon some past profession of faith which can end in a very subtle and hard deception one of the hardest things if somebody has some experience they have had and they trust that experience or they've done something that has released them emotionally from something and they make some kind of profession of faith to show them no uh, uh, Unless you've come under the work of God's Holy Spirit, unless you've come under that work, that you realize you're utterly lost. That you're undone. That you have nothing. That you're stripped of everywhere you can trust and brought to look to and trust only in Christ. If you haven't had that kind of reality, no matter what else has happened, no matter how emotional it might have been, you can't trust it. You cannot trust in that. Doing so can be a very, very hard deception. And looking back to the world and its ways, on the other hand, as well, where the heart was never purged. Remember Lot's wife and the one who looks and then draws back, perishes, They never were of this saving faith. Again, I quote another. He who thinks that by refusing to take up his cross daily and follow the example left by Christ can escape the world's reproach and persecution and yet go to heaven is fatally deluding himself. The wildest warning wildest exhortation if the apostle is convinced that the Hebrew Christians were not among the apostates those who drew back because those who have the right to full assurance are only those who live in a godly fear Otherwise, it will be presumption. Carnal assurance, as it has been called. This faith we term a saving faith. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. we to view our salvation as complete only when Christ comes. And this salvation is infallibly secured for all of the election of grace without any exception. But they are only the election of grace who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So in time of great apostasy, Paul can write to the Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3, We're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, for unto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ those who are called effectually by the gospel are assured that they're going to be glorified with Christ, that that is coming. Continue. Overcome. Press toward the mark. Watch out for the charms of this world. Strive to enter in. Look for and live under the power of the blessed hope. Those are things we're charged with in Scripture. There are exhortations given to all who are truly in Christ. So may God put a seriousness in our soul. A seriousness. May we realize what God promised through Jeremiah. Quote, I will put my fear in their heart and they shall not depart from me. May God bless the ministry of His Holy Word.